Now here today, we're going to continue on with our uh, talk from last week on effective communications, and today we part two. So if you haven't heard the first one, let me encourage you to go online and have a listen to the first one, and uh, that'll help the second one here make sense as well. You can put the two together. Uh, Ephesians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification it may impart grace to the hearers. And so we are to communicate, but we need to be careful how we communicate. We want to communicate effectively, especially in those meaningful relationships that we talked about last week. Every healthy relationship requires effective communication. Now, real quickly, I'll just um, uh, go through what we talked about last week. We talked about the different levels of communication. Uh, first level communication is sharing cliches. The second level communication is sharing facts. Third level communication is sharing opinions. Fourth level communication is sharing feelings. And the fifth level communication is sharing needs. And again, we want to be in those last two, sharing feelings and needs, because that's where intimate relationship happens in those last two areas of communication. Now, the purpose of communication is understanding. A uh, man went to uh, his doctor, and he was going through uh, having a physical, and, and uh, while he was there, he was really concerned about his wife. And he says, uh, Doc, you know, I'm afraid that my wife is losing her hearing, and I'm concerned about it. What, what should I do? And uh, he says, look, here's a simple test that you can do. Go home, and when she's in the kitchen, stand about maybe five meters away from her behind her and ask her a question. And if she can answer the question, her, her hearing's fine. But if not, step a little bit closer, ask the question again, see if you get an answer, and you can keep doing that until you get some degree of how bad her hearing loss is. So he went home, and um, as he walked in, sure enough, she was there in the kitchen. He says, well, I'll give this a try. So he's about five meters back from her, and he says, uh, uh, honey, what's for dinner? No response. So he walked in a little bit closer. Uh, honey, what's for dinner? Still no response. So he walked a little bit closer. Honey, what's for dinner? Nothing. And so he got right behind her and said, honey, what's for dinner? Well, she had her spoon in her hand. She threw her spoon down, turned around. She said, for the fourth time, I said chicken. Now, we can talk about communication here, but if there's a physical hearing problem, you may want to get that checked first. Just saying. So what are some enrich enriching tools that we can use uh, uh, to get to those fourth and fifth levels of communication that we talked about last week? Uh, and to help us remember these tools, I'm related them to food. So by the time you finish the day's sermon, you're going to be very hungry. Okay? So uh, first tool uh, of communication is, is drive-through talking. Drive-through talking. Have you ever gone through a drive-through? Of course, all of you have. What do you do? You pull up to the drive-through. You, you wait until they uh, recognize you, and then they uh, says, what is your order? And what do you do? Well, you give them an order. Say, uh, I, I want a, uh, a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a double cheeseburger, two small fries, one large fry, two Cokes, one Sprite, two milkshakes, and a sundae. And then what do you do? You wait until they repeat it back, right? All right, sir, I've got you down for uh, two hamburgers, uh, a double cheeseburger. No, 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 hang on, hang on. I didn't say that. I said one cheeseburger, one hamburger, and a double cheeseburger. Oh, sorry, okay, now, now we get it right. You see, that's drive-through talking. You go and say something, and the other person repeats back to you what they think they've heard, and that gives you an opportunity to go and clarify if it's, if it's uh, misunderstood. Uh, this is what happens when you do drive-through talking. And now, 
Communication is blocked when emotions do not coincide with another's feelings or when there is selective listening on the hearer's part. We've done this before. You go and talk to somebody, and they sort of hear only one thing you say, and they totally miss everything else you said. You've done that before, right? Well, with drive-through talking, they are under, under the understanding that they're going to have to repeat back to you what you said, and so it forces the hearer to listen so they gain understanding. Um, Dr. James Lynch, a co-director of the Psycho-Psychological Clinic and Laboratories at the University of Maryland, has documented that an actual healing of the cardiovascular system takes place when we listen. Interesting. Blood pressure uh, rises when people speak, and it lowers when they listen. No wonder so many pastors have high blood pressure. In fact, his studies show that blood pressure actually lowers when people are listening, active listening, than when they're silently staring at a blank wall. So it's not just about uh, 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 releasing, releasing the mind or, or freeing your mind or, or uh, emptying your mind. That's not what it's about. It's about active listening. And when you come to church, you sit down, and you actively listen to somebody up here speaking, Right? Who thought that coming to church could be so good for your health? Not only does it help your heart spiritually, but it also helps it physically as well. So aren't you glad you're here this morning? I'm glad I could help. Now, active listening and understanding is what drive-through talking is all about. Uh, give you an example. In John chapter 3, uh, a guy named Nicodemus comes up to Jesus, and they have a bit of a conversation about who Jesus is and whatnot. And Jesus goes and talks uh, them about a certain subject. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus here broaches the topic of being born again. And so Nicodemus goes and talks back and says, uh, uh, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time as to his mother's woman be born? Nicodemus' understanding of being birthed is something you had to do with your mom. I've got to go back in my mom and do it again. And so what that does is it gives Jesus the opportunity to clarify a little bit. And Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, physical birth, and spirit, spiritual birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. And so this is a little drive-through talking here between Jesus and Nicodemus. So it gives you an example of what we're talking about. And when you do drive-through talking... Share only a few thoughts at a time, just like you would as a drive-in, as you go in. You don't go and give them a whole order and expect them to, to know it. Um, and, and the same thing when you do drive-through talking with each other. If you sit there and talk for 20 minutes, you can't expect the other person to repeat back everything you said. It's not going to happen. All right? And so this method improves your listening skills. Uh, by allowing someone to repeat back what has been heard, you create the opportunity to make your words perfectly clear. Drive-through talking helps to avoid tension that arises from miscommunication. And uh, this method of communication does several other things as well. It gives you a chance to fully understand what the other person is saying, which can prevent arguments, because oftentimes you get in arguments because people don't understand what you're trying to tell them. And so this alleviates that. Now, it also validates the other person and their opinions. Uh, we talked about last week, when you get to that level of opinions, uh, if, if they're, they're uh, pushed back or, or if they neglected, then what happens is that conversation goes back to facts and cliches. Whereas when they're accepted, you can move forward to feelings and needs, which is really where you want to be for intimate relationships. Now, when you listen and try to understand perfectly, you send a message that what they are saying is very much important to you. 
And so drive-through talking can help you out with that. The second tool is relationship menu. Now here you list the things that are important to you, what you need in a relationship. And you can get the kids involved with this as well. You sit around the table, you get a big piece of paper out, and you put in a, a relationship menu. And, and now with the relationship menu, you notice that there's some main things there, and they usually have a higher value. So those are things that are more important. So things that are important to your family, you want to put those in those sections because we want to make sure we focus on those. And then just like with different sections of the menu, you can have a section here for the husband, you can have a section for your wife, section for kids, and you can say, all right, what are some things that are important in those relationships, and how do they look? How do we uh, uh, basically work out how we can make that thing the most important in that relationship? Um, the Bible does this um, quite often as well. Uh, when, when talking about wives, Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as, as unto the Lord. When talking about husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. Whenever you're talking about children, Ephesians 6, 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And for everybody, you got Matthew 22, uh, 37 says, Jesus said unto them, You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Here we see the Bible identifying different parts of the relationship and saying these things are important in those relationships. And essentially, we do the same thing with the relationship menu. If something is important like uh, honor, respect, um, uh, godliness, obedience, if those things are important in those relationships, you put those in there, and then you put down what those things look like. What this does is it brings you into unity. Um, it reminds us of, of the important things in life. And also you can use it to police, you, uh, to police as well. If you've got a little kid, let's call him little Johnny. We've been picking on Johnny for the last couple of weeks. Um, if you've got little Johnny and, um, and you've got under his um, little section there, obedience. And it's required for, for Johnny uh, to be obedient. And so therefore one of the things that he has to obey in is that before uh, dinner time, he has to have his room cleaned up. And you've gotten around, you've talked about it, and you talked about the consequences. Johnny, what's the good consequences? Well, uh, I don't get to eat dinner for, for a month. Okay. Uh, sometimes you may have kids do that, and you have to say, no, 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 hang on, let's, let's be realistic here. Let's say you don't eat dinner for that day. Okay, great. We're all in agreement. What's going to happen? Johnny's going to one day forget to clean his room. And then you take little Johnny and say, okay, now we've got the menu board here. Have a look there. Um, now, now, Johnny, what, what does it say that you need to do before dinner? Well, I've got to clean up my room. Yeah, and uh, did you clean up your room? No, I didn't clean up my room. Okay, well then, what's going to happen, Johnny? Well, I don't get to eat. Oh, Johnny, man, I'm so sorry. Man, that really stinks. Because I think mom actually fixed your, your, your best meal today, you know, one you really liked. And, and so I, I really hate that for you, Johnny. You know what? It's not me arguing with Johnny. The decision's already been made. And so that's one of the ways that you can use uh, your relationship menu. Now, what if you could request items off your relationship menu just like you do with a food menu? All right, let me talk to the singles before I talk to the married here for just a moment. Um, you think about your relationship menu. Even though you may not be in a relationship, you should create a, a relationship menu. And you go there, and you have your mains, and you, you include those things that are most important to you. Before you go and date anybody, you go and you look at your mains, and you see, hey, do they measure up? If they don't measure up, then don't bother with them. Okay, these are non-negotiables. These are things that you must have in an individual before you're going to go date them. Then you got the side items. You know, these are things that you'd like to see in an individual. Things that, you know, would be good. And then you got the desserts. Oh, yeah. If you want a 10, mm, that's where it goes, right there in the desserts. And so, hey, you can dream, right? 
And so you go through and you use that, and then you're not wasting. Look, whenever uh, there's a, a restaurant come to town or something, if I go to a, a new restaurant, what the first thing I do is I'll go and I'll walk in the front door and I'll ask for a menu. And I'll go through and I'll look at the menu, and if there's nothing in it I like, then I'm not going to waste my time going there. You know, thank you very much, I'll go somewhere else. And the same thing with, the, with these single guys. Hey, listen, if, if they don't measure up, don't waste your time. Go and find somebody, especially with the non-negotiables, you find somebody that will fit those uh, uh, different areas of your menu. Now, for, for, for the married couples, um, wouldn't it be great if you could request things off the menu, right? Uh, for instance, uh, under honor. You may have uh, uh, under your wife, under honor. Uh, maybe you've gone and read five love languages and you find out that your uh, wife's love language is physical touch. And so you've made a commitment to do three meaningful touches to your wife each day, right? And then maybe one day you come home or she comes home, had a horrible day, had a bad day, and she may say, you know what, I need one of those touches. Come on, bring it in. It'd be great to request those things off, off of your menu. And what you do is you agree in writing on what's the most important thing in those relationships. This, is, this way, both of you know what to expect and you know what to expect from each other. Uh, this has added benefits as well. It provides strength and unity. Whenever there's two or more people working together for a definite goal, mutual strategy helps solidify the forces. And this is very important when it comes to parenting. Okay? Um, I mean, these, these little demons that we have we call kids, sometimes they can be very divisive when it comes to parenting. Man, if they could get one parent on one side, one parent on the other side, and they can have their own way. And so it's important when, when you look at parenting that you're both on the same page, especially in the area of discipline. If your kid's going to have done something wrong, well, then parents need to have a timeout, and they need to discuss and talk about the proper way in order to deal with it before they actually go and talk to the kid, if all possible. It's not always possible, but if all possible, that would be great. That way the kid is not using them to divide each other. Okay? And uh, friction is reduced because uh, partners are willing to discuss these positives and negatives calmly because they're sitting around the table having this time of, uh, of working on their menu. Uh, it adds honor, honorable communication wherein both partners feel heard and are willing to spend more time in discussions. Uh, both partners feel safe and secure when, when sharing their feelings and needs. And again, last week, this is where we talked about we want, really want to be sharing feelings and needs because that's where the intimacy takes place. And also it helps keep values prioritized. You've got them right there in front of you. You know what's important in your family. Oftentimes, the important things are replaced with the urgent. And, and sometimes we, we go a little bit off, off, off kilter and uh, we, we go back and we look at that relationship menu from time to time, again, again, on a regular basis. What it does is it pulls us back in line and tells us, again, those things that are important. Love increases out of desire to meet goals and keep values. And when all of the rules are clearly stated, it leaves little doubt when these priorities are not being met. I heard about a guy who wanted to do this very thing. So he had his relationship menu, and under his wife, he, had, uh, um, he wanted to do uh, three uh, meaningful touches a day uh, because that was her love language. And one day he came home, and he realized he didn't get, th he didn't get it done. And uh, so he, he sort of comes in, and he goes into the bedroom, and she's already in bed. And so he walks up to her and goes, one, two, three. Okay, that, that's not what we're talking about. Look, guys, we can do better than that. Yeah, we can do better than that. Finally, it reduces stress and provides a loving environment which promotes listening and understanding. And that's the goal. We want to be heard, and we want to be understood. Now, the third tool, food fight. Kids will love this one. All right? This is throwing out the praise. 
throwing out the praise. Romans chapter 14, verse 19 says, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Proverbs 15, 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, about five years ago, I had a family that I was counseling, and uh, they had a lot of problems, a lot of issues going on, and they mentioned a term that I've never heard before in, re in relation to relationships. They came in and said, oh, it's just a toxic environment. You ever heard that toxic environment? And it seems like that time, every person I, I counsel, that, that word comes up, toxic. Everything's toxic now. Seems like that's the bu buzzword now. Do you know how to change a toxic environment in your house or in your workplace? You have a food fight of praise. This is where you go and identify, you sit around the table, you identify one person, and you take one person, and each person has to go around, and they spend 60 seconds telling this person anything and everything that they appreciate about that person. Set aside a time each week or each month to bombard each other with compliments. This will do wonders for your marriage. This will do wonders for your relationship with your children. And it will, in a, it will even benefit your employers. Can you imagine the morale in your workplace when all you do is sit there sit around complimenting each other? In fact, what's going to happen is somebody's going to say, hey, I may be next week, and so well, they're going to do a good job so they can find somebody that, that can compliment on, on their good job that they did. It would be kind of embarrassing to sit there and nobody can think of anything, right? And so it will do wonders for your morale even at the workplace. When you have the habit of praising each other, then there are times when you have to confront one another. And those times make things a little bit easier. Uh, in the family relationship, we're talking about uh, uh, emotional love bank. We've mentioned that before, I think. Emotional love bank. And we should constantly be making deposits and making fewer withdrawals. Spreading the love. Uh, uh, loving on our kids, loving on our spouses uh, as much as we possibly can because there will come a time when you're going to have to make a withdrawal, when you're going to have to confront them about something or times where you're just an absolute jerk. And a love covers a multitude of sin oftentimes. And so anytime you go and you make withdrawals, it's going to get to the point where you're going to have insufficient funds. And that's the time where there's going to be conflict. That's the time where there's going to be separation. That's the time there's going to be divorce. If, you, if your comments are always negative, well, then they're much harder to receive. And so I can tell you, a little praise goes a long, long way. The fourth tool I want to share with you here this, uh, this morning is the SALT principle. The SALT principle. Create a thirst for what you want to communicate. Uh, it says you can, they said you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, you put a bunch of salt in his oats, and you see what happens. I can almost guarantee you, you can get a horse to drink. Psalms uh, 42, verses 1 and 2 says, As a deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God and for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? David here has a thirst to see God. He has a thirst longing for God. In Psalms 119.18, he says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. He can't wait to get into the law, to get into the Word of God, to see what God has to say for him. There's a thirst there. Peter Cartwright uh, was a, um, a circuit preacher back in the 1800s. And uh, he would go to different places and he would preach and uh, have a little revivals and things like that. Well, he went to this new place, this new town, and um, he, he went in there and, and, and went to, he was quite thirsty, so he went into the saloon to get a drink. And while he was there, 
um, uh, there was a lady that was dancing up front. They had music going on and things like that. And he was sitting there drinking his drink. Well, the lady came over to the table and stuck out her hand wanting him to dance with her. And so he obliged. He got up. They went to the front of the saloon. And um, as, as he, they were about to dance, he said five words to her. And when he said those five words, immediately she stopped dancing. She got down on her knees and she was begging God to save her. And not only that, those that were in the, the, the band in the back, they also heard those five words. And they too were like, oh my goodness. And they put down the, their, their instruments and they came and they gathered around Peter Carrie and they said, oh, what do we need to do to be saved? Oh, you don't know what those five words were. That's the salt principle. I'm not going to tell you what those five words were because I want you to remember this principle. That's the salt principle. You, you go and put a little salt. Have you ever, women, we're going to pick on the husbands. Have you ever spoken to your husband and um, you go and talk to him again later on and, and uh, about the same topic and he's like, what are you talking about? Didn't have a clue what you said. Sometimes it happens at my house as well. If I'm so focused on something, uh, my wife will be talking to me, especially if she's in a, another room, and, and it's just background noise to me. I don't hear, I don't hear anything she says. And, and it's not because I'm trying to be mean or if I don't want to hear what she says. It's just the, the way I am. It's just the way I operate. Uh, she knows that she's going to have to get my attention if she's got something very important to tell me. And so here what we need to do is create a little salt. Let me give you an example of this that may be in our lives. Uh, you want to start off finding something that, uh, that's important to the listener as well. If you can do that, it's even better. But um, say my wife comes, uh, comes up to me and says, uh, um, Hey, Dwayne, um, uh, I heard some very alarming news about our son, Austin, this morning. The teacher called, and uh, I'm just uh, really concerned. And then you may want to share a few thoughts of your own. I, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm so worried. I mean, it may take a lot of money to get this thing rectified. And then you may even throw out a question to create a little more curiosity. Have you ever noticed that Austin's been acting a little differently lately? All right, come on, what's going on? What's happening, right? Uh, communication, uh, you communicate your, your idea only when you see you have your mate's full attention and your mate's full interest. At any time you lose their interest, you just pause, create a little thirst, and then you go on and continue to say what you have to say. Listen, this works a lot better than sitting there saying, will you listen to me? I've got something important to say. Because oftentimes, something important doesn't really sound all that interesting. But if you can go and add a little salt, if you can go and, and create a little thirst, create a little bit of interest, oftentimes you can go and communicate those things and they understand. The fifth tool, food selfies. How many of you do food selfies? Raise your hand. So you the guys that are clogging up my social media, right? Food selfies. Now, look, I can go make something, and I can call up my friend and say, hey, I've got to tell you what I did today. And I can go, and I can describe it, and I can describe it. But if I can take a food selfie and send it to them, man, they get the idea. They know exactly what I've done. They, they, I don't have to describe it to them. They know what I'm talking about. And, and using a word, uh, emotional word pictures works in the same way. Uh, we use word pictures all the time. Uh, we may say that there's, uh, this guy is one taco short of a combination plate. Uh, we may say that they're uh, one fry short of a Happy Meal. Uh, the elevator doesn't go all the way to the top. You know, we, we use these word pictures all the time, and we instantly know what we're talking about, right? There's been a couple of them that I had to learn whenever I came over here to Australia. 
I was sitting down with some guy, and he was talking about having a kangaroo loose in the top paddock. And I was like, what? Where? Where? What do you mean? Kangaroos? Where? Uh, or talking about being flat out like a lizard drinking. I mean, ever seen a lizard drink? And so I didn't know what this guy was talking about, but now that I have an understanding of it, they don't have to go through and explain it anymore. I have an idea. I know what they're talking about. That's the power of word pictures. Um, give an example of this. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter is asking Jesus Christ how many times we're supposed to forgive. Seven times? Jesus says no, seven times seven. And he goes and tells the story of this unforgiving servant. Uh, you have the, the master, and this, this servant owes him 10,000 talents, and so he appears before the master when it's time to pay up, and he says, oh, I'm sorry, master, I don't have the money. Will you, will you have mercy on me? And the master says, you know what? All right, I'll, I'll, I'll let it go this time. And so he lets him go. But then that guy goes and finds somebody that owes him a hundred talents. And he says, hey, pay up. And he's like, oh, well, I'm sorry, I can't pay it. Have mercy on me. He says, no, I'm not doing that. Go to jail. And you'll stay there and be tormented until you can pay me. Now, that really ticks us off, doesn't it? How could he do such a thing? He got forgiven 10,000 talents, and yet he couldn't forgive somebody that owed him a hundred? Are you kidding me? It ticks us off. It makes us angry. It makes us mad. But then Jesus goes and says, ah, oh, but look what happened. The master found out about it and brought that guy back before him again. And he says, okay, you want to play that game? Fine, you go to prison until you owe me, until you give me what you owe me. And we're like, yeah, that's right. You tell him, Jesus. Well, that is until we find out that we're the unforgiven servant. Okay. See how that works? Many of you are familiar with David. David sent his guys out to the battlefield, and uh, he decided to take a sickie and stay home. And while he was there, he was looking over his, his uh, uh, kingdom, and he saw a, a woman on top of the, uh, her house bathing. And he looked over to the servant, and he says, Hey, I want her. He said, Well, hang on, boss, uh, just a minute. This is Uriah's wife, you know, the guy you sent out to go fight the battle. This is his wife. I don't care. I want her. Okay. So he goes and gets the wife. They had a bit of whoop-whoop, and she ends up being pregnant. And now he's got to cover up a scandal. And he says, okay, well, go get Uriah from the battlefield. And so they go and get Uriah from the battlefield. Hey, mate, you've been doing a great job on the battlefield. Go and spend some time with your wife. Next day he finds out he didn't go home. Why? Because he had integrity. He says, how can I go and, and be, be at home with my wife when my uh, other uh, companions are out there and they're fighting, they're losing their lives? How can I do such a thing? And so then he goes and tries to get them drunk. He still doesn't go. So he gives them a letter and says, take that to the captain. And so he goes and takes the captain, which really is a death letter. And so they put him in the heat of the battle and they pull back so he'll die. His plan works perfectly. And then he goes, oh, Bathsheba, I'm sorry to hear about your husband. Won't you come be a part of my family? Oh, wow, you're pregnant. Great. Wonderful. I've got an heir for you. He thought he got away with it. Then Nathan shows up. He says, Nathan, is this king, I've got, I got something I've got to tell you. There's this guy that's got uh, thousands of lambs, and uh, he had a special guest coming over to his house. And, and, and instead of killing one of his own lambs, he went and got his neighbor's lamb who only had one lamb, and it was like a pet to him. And he loved that lamb, and he killed that lamb, and he used that to feed his guest. And notice David's reaction in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David, so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. 
and he shall restore fourfold the land because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David is ticked off, man. He is angry. You remember David used to be a shepherd. And so he understands the bond between a lamb and a shepherd. And he hears what this guy did and he's ready to put him to death. And then Nathan goes and drops the bomb and says, hey, you're the man. The anger that he felt was just a little sliver compared to the anger that God felt because he stole another man's wife and then went and killed the husband in order to try to cover it up. And you know what, that, you know what happened as a result of that? David got on his knees and he confessed his sin to God. He was able to understand what God was feeling because of what he did. He felt the pain. And when you share those emotional word pictures, you can get people to understand your pain. You can get them to understand your needs. And once you begin using communication to express your feelings and needs to your mate, you will notice it makes a marked difference in your intimacy level. Using emotional word pictures is simply a powerful method to sharing your feelings and needs. And it doesn't have to be all negative. Maybe, you know, you go and talk to your husband and say, hey, you remember that time you were up in that jet? I gave you that, that, that gift and you went up into a jet, and these guys were doing all kinds of barrel rolls and flips like that, and you tell me how exciting it was and how it just really thrilled you to be able to do that. You know what? Whenever we're out in the public and you go and grab my hand, ooh, baby, mm, that's what I feel. You just get me going. So you can use emotional word pictures that way as well. The sixth tool is rate your meals. Food critic. First um, Corinthians 11.31 says, uh, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Now here's talking about uh, communion. Anytime you come to communion, you need to examine yourselves before God before you take communion. But I think we need to examine our relationships as well. And you know how you go to these restaurants and you got little surveys on the table and you can go through and tick you know, how the service is? Uh, well, you, well, you need to rate your life as well. R- relate your, uh, rate your relationships as well. And sometimes telling a mate that you're dis- dissatisfied in a relationship is really not motivating and actually can be quite discouraging. Uh, Your partner can come away feeling inadequate without a clear picture of how to make an improvement. Instead, use the feelings and needs to rate how, what what you're feeling and and to to rate what your needs are, like we talked about last week. And I think you'll be better off doing that. Uh, uh, You may want to use the scale zero to 10. Uh, Oftentimes, whenever people come to me for marriage counseling, very early in the counseling sessions, I usually have them give them a piece of paper and pen, and I'll tell them, rate your marriage from a zero to ten, zero being absolute rubbish to ten being blitz. You, you, you tell me um, uh, which one, where you're at in your relationship, zero to ten. They say, oh, well, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a two right now. Okay, great. Then you ask them the second question, where would you like it to be? Hey, you know what, I'd be happy with an eight. Great. Third question, and this is the most important question. What's it going to take to get from a two to an eight. In your opinion, what's it going to take to get from a two to eight? She writes her opinions down, he writes his opinions down, and then we put them together and say, great, now we've got something to work on. Now we've got something we can focus on. These questions and honest answers will act as a barometer to assist you in achieving deeper, intimate, and lasting, loving relationships. So let me encourage you to do that. Now, the seventh tool, pay bills immediately. Keep short accounts. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Deal with problems immediately. Keep short accounts. Don't let arguments and hostilities go unresolved. Pay up. 
uh, agree beforehand to approach each other as soon as possible after an argument, as soon as you can both tolerate each other, come together and deal with it. Uh, you may want to include this on your relationship menu as well. Maybe on your relationship menu in, in relation to your wife or your husband, you may say, you know what, we don't go to bed angry. And if it means we've got to stay up to 3 o'clock in the morning have, hashing this out, then we stay up to 3 o'clock in the morning hashing it out. We will not go to bed angry. Immediately clear up any offenses by simply understanding each other and asking for forgiveness. In the same token, pay up, uh, pay up in, in, in appreciation as well uh, when, when the timing is right. Uh, I'm not saying fake it, but when they do something good, let them know. Tell them about it. Uh, look for things that are right and not always focus on the things that are wrong. And don't expect others to know when you appreciate them or when you're sorry. That's got to be communicated. Let them know those things. Uh, keep your relationships debt-free. Pay your accounts. Um, around the turn of the century, uh, there was an old tycoon uh, from Texas, and, and he made his first trip around Europe. And um, he got sat beside a Frenchman on, um, uh, when it was time for dinner, and as he sat down, the Frenchman looked over at him and said, Bon appétit. Well, you know, this unsophisticated oil tycoon didn't really know what this guy was doing. He thought he was introducing himself. And so he said, uh, Barnhouse. And the next day, the same thing happened. They sat down, Bon Appetit, up, oh, Barnhouse. And this kept going on and on and on after several days. And so each time he would say it a little bit louder and a little more distinct, Barnhouse, you know, trying to get his point across. Well, he's talking to another uh, passenger. He says, man, I don't know what's going on with this guy. And the guy said, no, 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 Mr. Barnhouse, you don't understand. This guy's not introducing himself. This is a French way of saying, enjoy your meal. Oh, man, are you kidding? He was so embarrassed uh, by what he did. And he was like, you know, I've got to make this right. I've got to make this right. And so uh, that night they sat down and, and had dinner together. And so as the Frenchman came and sat down, he looked at him. He said, bon appetit. And the Frenchman looked at him and nodded and said, barnhouse. <laughs> now, he had the right idea, you know. Short accounts, when you, when you do an offense, when there's, uh, when there's a problem, you want to get it right, uh, and you want to make it good as soon as you possibly can. Don't let those things linger. Don't let them con continue on. Now, each of these tools will improve your communication skills, but as to use them as a whole, you will find that these are the most effective ways to bring instantaneous intimacy into your relationships. Uh, they're wonderful. Uh, the one... Uh, the only way that you can give each other what you need is to be able to establish through communication what those needs are. And so let me encourage you to do that. These, are, these vital shortcuts can help you strengthen the very heart of your relationship. So make it your goal to move through these first three levels of talk and get into the fourth and fifth level where the intimacy and the closeness really happens, sharing your feelings, sharing your needs, uh, discover each other's needs, make your relationship a safe place and an intimate place where you can go and have those intimate communications. Now, only by entering the, these deepest levels is where you can truly achieve, achieve true intimacy. And so let me encourage you to take these things that we've talked about the last two weeks and to begin to apply them to your relationship. Take some time to think about your relationships uh, this week and maybe some of, the, some of the relationships that you're maybe kind of struggling in a little bit. And um, write out some ways that you can apply these tools in those particular relationships, and then pray and ask God to assist you in implementing these tools this week. So remember, the goal of effective communication is to gain understanding. And so I'm hoping that the tools that you have over the last two weeks will enable you to do just that. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the time that we have together. Lord, we're thankful for the relationships that you've given us, Lord, and the, and the people that you've put into our lives. And Lord, I know that there's uh, uh, oftentimes there's some relationships that are a bit strained, and we struggle with some of the relationships. And Lord, I know that there, there may be people here that desire more from their relationships, and they want more from their relationships, but they just don't know how to get it. And so, Lord, I pray that the information that was provided for them over the last two weeks will be helpful, will be beneficial, and they can begin to look at reestablishing those meaningful relationships once again. Lord, we do thank you most of all for your relationship with us. And once again, Lord, we pray that if there's any here that don't have that close-knit relationship with you, Lord, that intimate relationship with you, I pray, God, before they leave today, that they would seek you out and we'd have the opportunity to share Christ with them. Lord, thank you for our time together, and we ask it all in Jesus' name we pray.